are continuing upon our latest series. As a matter of fact, we're concluding it. It's a series that we've entitled Life in the Middle. And basically what we've been looking at is the importance of getting from here to there and understanding that what we do in the middle matters. It's paramount. It's important. So this series has proven crucial for us here at Church at the Bridge because it served to encourage our faith, but also to instruct us and solidify the vision that God has given us to reach this region, to go beyond that, to touch lives of people and to genuinely love them with the love of God so that they might come to know Christ. I don't know about you, but that excites me. That's what this is all about. Now, I know that for the past few Sundays, we've been announcing that today is a big day. It's a day where we're turning in our pledge cards and we're detailing what we'll be giving overall for the next 18 months or however you choose to do that towards our building campaign. I know that today is also the day that we're giving our very best initial monetary gift towards the overall amount that we are pledging as our first fruits offering. But as exciting as that is, I think it's important to put into context what we're really doing here today. I want you to hear me clearly. Let me start by sharing a story with you. It's a story that I heard a while back. It's about a guy named Charles Plum, who was a U.S. Naval Academy graduate who went on to become a jet fighter pilot in Vietnam. Now, this is a true story. After 75 successful combat missions, his plane was destroyed by a surface-to-air missile. And the way, this, the, the way the account goes, Plum ejected and parachuted into enemy hands. And he was captured and he spent six years in a communist prison. Now, he survived the ordeal and then went on to uh, uh, speak all over the world with lectures about lessons learned from that experience. And so one day, when Plum and his wife were sitting in a restaurant, a man at another table came, in, came up to, him, to them and said, You're Plum! You flew fighter jets in Vietnam from the, aircraft, uh, from the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk. You were shot down. Surprised, Plum asked him, how in the world did you know that? To which the man replied, I packed your parachute. Plum, the story goes, gasped in surprise and gratitude. The man pumped his hand and said, I guess it worked. And Plum responded with great appreciation, it sure did. If your shoot hadn't worked, I wouldn't be here today. Plum couldn't sleep that night thinking about the man. Plum says, I kept wondering what he might have looked like in a Navy uniform, a Dixie cup hat, a bib on the back, and bell-bottom trousers. I wondered how many times I might have passed him on the Kitty Hawk. I wondered how many times I might have seen him and not even said, good morning, how are you, or anything, because after all, you see, I was a fighter pilot, and he was just a sailor. Plum thought of the many hours that this sailor must have spent on a long wooden table in the bowels of the ship, carefully weaving the shrouds and folding the silks of each chute, holding in his hands each time the fate of someone he did not know. Now, Plum asks his audiences, who's packing your shoe? See, everyone has someone who provides what they need to make it through life. So what's powerful about this story for me personally is that while this guy was a fighter pilot, he never thought about the person who packed his shoe. 
It never crossed his mind what went into creating the device that saved his life. It never crossed his mind that someone was behind it, that there was someone who was thinking about him, who was thinking about his safety, and who cared to such an extent for his life in spite of not knowing him. Someone who made a commitment to do what they were commissioned to do in order to save lives. See, what this fighter pilot did not know is that the battle isn't just won on the front lines or in the air. It's won before it ever starts by committed people who do what's necessary for the victory of another. So here's, this, this is the thing. This is our story at Church at the Bridge. If you've been around any length of time, then you know this. We are built and driven to serve and uplift people. We're doing what's necessary from this point forward by making this commitment today because we're committed to saving lives. See, today is about people. I'm going to say that again. Today is about people. We're doing what's necessary from this point forward because we're committed to paying attention to details that no one else is thinking of for the sake of people. We're doing what's necessary from this point forward because we're committed to making a way for the sake of people before they even know they need a way. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to be very clear with you. Today isn't about an offering. It isn't about a building. It isn't about giving something to feel something good because we're doing something good. Today, we're making a commitment, a proclamation, a declaration. We are setting an example that we are committed to partner with God, that we are committed to honor God, and that we are committed to do what God is calling us to do for the sake of bringing salvation and solutions to people. I want to be very clear about that. To do that, though, something is necessary. Today, I'd like to talk to you on the topic, burn the plows. You may not know it, but today you're invited to be a part of a bonfire, a very big bonfire. As a matter of fact, not a bonfire, but an inferno. We're going to burn some things down today. And the reason why I want to start there and I want to talk to you about that is because every great move of God always begins with a commitment. Let me say that again. Every great move of God always begins with a commitment. In other words, commitment requires letting go of something so that you can take hold of something better. And you know what I love about commitment when it comes to a commitment to God? That God has designed us in such a way that he doesn't look at us as insignificant. The scriptures clearly declare that he calls us co-laborers and joint heirs in Christ. In other words, we are participators. We are part of the solution. We are part of God's plan. And so if we're going to talk about burning plows, if we're going to talk about commitment, I think it's important to understand what the scripture says about it. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 through 20, I'm reading from the Living Bible version. It says, God paid a ransom to save you from the impossible road to heaven which your fathers tried to take, and the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver, as you very well know. Listen closely. But he paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him for this purpose, 
this, uh, before the world began, but only recently he was brought into public view in these last days as a blessing to you. So when it comes to commitment, what we see is that this is more than a casual affair. Commitment takes making a move. And from these verses, what we see is that the one who calls us to a life of commitment made the first move. Before we even thought about him, before we even came to existence, God was committed and he was focused on us. He made the move. So great was his move that he, he gave Christ not just for your past, not just for your present, but also for your future. You know what kind of commitment that is? That's a forever commitment. That's a commitment forever. That's a commitment despite our shortcomings, despite when we fail, despite when we lose track. God is so committed that he thought about your yesterdays, he's thinking about you today, and he's waiting for you in your tomorrows. That's commitment. That's God's commitment. Which leads me to my next point, that any move we make in response to God's call begins and is sustained by our commitment. I'm going to say that again. Any move we make in response to God's call. So here it is, we've got this commission from God. We know what God has called us to. We're taking steps towards that. It begins, but it's also sustained by our part of the bargain, which is commitment. See... This, this, this deal of faith and commitment to God doesn't stop at the place of our confession. No. That's the beginning. It continues with a life committed. Let me show you what the scriptures say as a great example about commitment. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Listen closely to this. This is important. This is truly the way to worship him. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Simply put, I want us to see that this walk of faith, this life unto God, this commitment that we've made is a life of commitment. But we must understand this, that God is not waiting on us to commit in order for him to make a move. He already did his part. He's already done what he promised. We've just got to step into it. We've just got to approach things with commitment. And I want you to notice that verse 1 says that we should give our bodies to God because of all he has done. The number one reason why we are to be committed people is because we serve a committed God. I'm going to say that again. The number one reason why we have reason, why it is right, why it is godly, and why, I'm, I'm going to say a word that's really nasty, why it's our obligation to live with commitment, to partner with the kingdom, is because God obligated himself by way of commitment 
to us. See, the substance of, to the life of all believers is made up of a lifelong commitment that leads to sacrifice, yes. But it's not without results. It's not without rewards. And so these verses don't just teach us what commitment is. They tell us where a committed life leads us. In verse 2, we can conclude from it that when we live committed to God, we have the ability to transform and break out of the mold of this world by a renewing of our mind that opens the door to a transformed life, which results in God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's good, pleasing, and perfect will begins and is sustained by commitment. See, God's committed. But when we commit, guess what? It begins. It begins to unfold. And so in 1 Kings 19, we have the record of the transition in the ministry of Elijah the prophet. Now, Elijah was renowned for his unwavering commitment to God, for being used powerfully by God, for speaking the very words of God to all people. But, this, but in, in 1 Kings 19 the second half of it, we see that that season was now coming to an end as God calls him to step out of a cave and install the next leaders of, over Israel and the land and also to appoint Elisha as prophet. Let's turn to 1 Kings 19, starting at verse 19. And I want us to kind of dig into this as we begin to flesh this out. It says, so Elijah departed from there, the cave, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him. And he with the 12th. Elijah went over to him and threw his mantle coat on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. Then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go on back. For what have I done to stop you? And so Elisha left him and went back. Then he took a pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their meat with the implements of the oxen as fuel and gave the meat to the people and they ate. Then he stood and followed Elisha, Elijah and served him. So let's get this picture. When Elijah shows up, his instructions, according to 1 Kings 19, you can read that before in your own time. God tells him, you're to go back and you're going to appoint Hazael king over Aram. You're going to appoint Jehu king over Israel. And you're going to appoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. And so while kings were paramount in their role in those days, Elijah knew something that most didn't. The importance of having an appointed man of God. In other words, having the voice for God there. And so instead of anointing the kings first, Elijah places greater importance by anointing Elisha first as prophet. Because he knew that a king without God's prophet in those days was a failure waiting to happen. Right? So God's choice in Elisha did not simply indicate a passing on 
of the baton. No, as a matter of fact, it was a transference of God's power and purposes through this man, Elijah, that were now to be carried on in greater proportion through the life of this guy named Elisha. And so one would think that upon happening this, uh, upon this happening, upon receiving this mantle, that all of a sudden Elisha is just operating in the anointing. Right, that he's just speaking powerfully and that he's calling fire down from heaven like Elijah. No, none of that happened. As a matter of fact, upon taking this mantle, what we see is that Elijah, Elisha, still had to make a commitment. He had to make a commitment. See, the placing of this mantle upon Elisha signified to everyone that he was to replace and carry on as the prophet in a similar fashion as Elijah. But upon taking this mantle, we find that Elisha says to Elijah, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Elijah's response is very important and teaches us something about commitment. The original text bears out that when Elijah responded, what he said was, go back. I have nothing to do with your choice. In other words, that's your choice. I did my part, basically, is what he was saying. So in other words, Elisha was anointed. He was called. He was commissioned. But he had to choose if he operated in this call. And to do so, Elisha, again, had to make a commitment. So it appears at face value that Elisha's actions after receiving this mantle displayed a lack of commitment. I mean, after all, think about it. He says... Let me first go back to my mother and my father. Let me kiss them goodbye, and then I'll follow you. It sounds like he wasn't committed, but that's the furthest thing from the truth. You see, what we find from the text is that Elijah did not just go home to say goodbye to his parents. He went home to cut every cord that could tie him to it. The scripture says that when Elijah showed up, let's consider this. He found Elisha doing what? Plowing the lands with 12 yoke of oxen. So he's got 12 pair of ox. And they're all doing this hard labor. And he's with the 12th pair driving them. Right? I imagine that he was leading the rest with this pair. And so what that tells us is something very important. Because you see, in those days, animals, lands, and crops were a sign of your wealth. Right? Therefore, we see that Elisha was not a man without recourse. This man was well off. His family was well off. They had lands. They had oxen. They had equipment to do the work. And these oxen and this equipment were used to, that he used to run them was a big part of his standing and his wealth in life. So when Elisha went home, he didn't just go back to say goodbye. He went back to burn every bridge that could provide him a way out of what God was calling him to. So this teaches us something very important for our lives and about what we're doing today. Commitment to God comes in one measure. It's total. I'm going to say that again. Commitment to God comes in one measure. There's not levels of commitment to God, ladies and gentlemen. It's total. It's complete. 
See, God does not compete for our commitment. But let me say this too. Neither should we. Neither should we. See, like Elijah, if we are to do what God has called us to do here at Church at the Bridge and in your lives individually, it requires what many of you are doing today. Choosing the anointing of God to do what he's commissioned us for and laying down what's most valuable so we can follow after God and do what he has commanded us to. So to make that commitment, the, the commitment that we're making today, it requires something. It requires that we eliminate all competing priorities that get in the way of doing and fulfilling what God has placed in our hearts. See, that's where we begin to compete. We compete because we say, hey, this priority and that priority. And, you know, this is, this is important to me, so because this is important to me, this is of less importance. See, we can't do that. And so what do we learn about commitment from Elisha? What do we learn? The first thing that we learn is this. There are only two options regarding commitment. I'm going to say that again. There are only two options regarding commitment. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. I thought you said commitment to God has to be total, that it is total. See, the truth is that you and I do have options when it comes to commitment to God. We have the option where we are either totally in or we are totally out. We have options. We do. But we have to be careful about what we choose. See, when it comes to commitment to God, there's no such thing as life in between. It starts with commitment, it continues with commitment, and it is sustained for the long run through commitment. And that's in every area of our lives. And I want you to think about this. To not make a commitment is to commit to something else. To not make a commitment is to commit to something else. See, Elisha, if you study the text, didn't just sacrifice an ox. Elisha went back and he sacrificed them all. He burnt them all. He killed all the ox. He didn't just burn a plow. The scripture says that he burned all the implements. In other words, he took every single plow and he said, break it up. Let's, he chopped it all up. He put it all in the center. He said, hey, we're going to have a big cookout. He burnt them all. He didn't just say goodbye to his parents. Notice that the text says that he gathered everyone, I imagine, in that town so that they could all partake and be witness to his choice. I imagine that people were going, hey, Elisha, how, how are you guys, guys going to do this from this point forward? you got no ox. You got no oxen. You, you, you've got no plows. How are you going to take care of your land? How are you going to provide your own seed? And Elisha goes, no, 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 you don't get it. I'm called to the one that provides all seed. Who gives me bread to eat and seed to sow. And so Elisha doesn't just say goodbye to mom and dad. He makes it public and he says goodbye to everyone. Hmm. Consider the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9 verse 62. He puts it this way. He says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. See, the words of Jesus in this verse teach us a stark reality 
about the kingdom that we are a part of. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. You are a part of a kingdom because you have a king. And in a king's kingdom, there are kingdom laws. There are ways that we are to follow. And in this kingdom, to serve in God's kingdom, we must live with an all-in commitment. We have to be looking forward, going forward, and trusting what God is calling us to while not looking back. See, to fit in the kingdom, let's talk about kingdom fitness. To be fit in the kingdom, fit for service, fit for the call, fit for the anointing, fit. And to fit in the kingdom, the only ones that can do that are the ones that can only fit what God wants into their lives. By way of our choices, by way of our views, by way of our priorities, even by way of our sacrifices. See, everyone fits in the kingdom. That's true. But not everyone fits it into their lives. And so we're making a commitment, ladies and gentlemen. And it's not a commitment to me. It's not a commitment to, to, to just anything. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And I'll have you know this, that we here will lead. We lead by example. This house, we lead by example. And in my house, we lead by example. Because we believe what God has called us to. Which leads me to our second point. Because God has given us a promise. We can't take hold of our harvest if we're holding on to our plows. I'm going to say that again. We can't take hold of our harvest if we are holding on to our plows. Think about this. When the call came... Elijah was focused on reaping a harvest. How do we know that? He's plowing the ground. He's planning for seed. He's planning for its growth. He's planning to reap a crop. He's plowing the ground with the intent of receiving something good, a produce from it. Now, let me say this to you. You may not uh, be a farmer and you may not own a plow. But the truth is this. We all have plows. I'm going to tell you why. Because we're all holding on to something as a means to prepare ourselves to receive something we hope to reap. See, your plow might not be for raising corn or wheat. But I guarantee you that you have a plow. I have a plow. We have a plow. And for some of us, that plow is for retirement. It's for your home. Your plow might be for your toys. Your plow might be for your possessions. Your plow might be for your career goals. Your plow might be for your social life and entertainment. Your plow might be for your bank account. See, we're all plowing for something just like Elisha. So the question, the question isn't if we're plowing in life. The question is, what are you plowing for? What are you plowing for? And if the plow that you are holding on to and driving your life with, is for you, your four, and no more. If the plow that you are so intent upon holding on to, that you hold near and dear, that you sacrifice the call of God for, that you sacrifice your commitment to the kingdom for, that you give up on the community and the body of Christ for, if that plow is causing you to forsake the harvest that God has for you, then let me say this to you, you've got the wrong plow.
And here's the thing when you've got the wrong plow, you'll reap the wrong harvest. You will reap the wrong harvest. See, Elisha realized that he was plowing for the wrong harvest. So he, had, he decided that he had to let go of all those plows. Can I just say something to you that I've learned over the years? And I've learned this by experience, but I've also learned it by walking with people in ministry and, and helping to build people and, and pouring into people. There are too many people that want the mantle of God, of God's call, without the commitment to burn their plows. I'm going to say that again. There are too many people in this kingdom of God that want the mantle of God's call without a commitment to burn their plows. I'm reminded of, a, of a, something that I heard that's recorded in history. I may have shared it here at some point, but the way the story goes, Alexander the Great, who was the emperor of Macedonia, which was really Greece, he gathers all his armies and he decides, we're going to conquer Persia. And so when they arrive with their ships, something like 1,200 ships, they, they arrive on, on the seashore of Persia. They get there and the soldiers are awaiting the first command, which is always the most important one. So they're all standing at the ready and the commander of Alexander the Great's armies goes before him. He says, Sire, what will you have us do? What is your first command as we proceed to overtake Persia? He says, burn the ships. And all of a sudden... The army begins, there's an uproar and this mumbling and this, and, this, and this complaining begins to rise up. And they go, how are we going to get out of here? How are we going to make it back to Macedonia? And he says, we will leave on Persian ships. You know what he was saying? We have no way before us. The only way for us to do what we've been called to do is to move forward. And that's where our victory is. And when we win, we will overtake Persia and we'll leave on those ships. Can I tell you, there's only one way for us here at Church at the Bridge. I'm just saying that publicly. I just want you to know there is only one way for us. There is only one way for us. Only one way. See, if we want to achieve what God has called us to do at Church at the Bridge, we have to burn ships. We have to burn ships. I'm telling you, there is no other way for us to go but forward. So you might as well join the bonfire. <laughs> you might as well throw something in the fire and watch it burn. Right? You might as well burn some excuses, burn some fears, burn some doubts, burn some worries. Burn some things that, that you allow in your heart and in your mind to get in the way of what God is do, doing through us and what God is trying to do in you. You know what I've learned in the kingdom of God? That when you do what the kingdom calls for, the kingdom results become yours. God is faithful. The last point that I want to leave you with here as we close is this. It's that if we remain committed, there is always... A way. I'm going to say that again. If we remain committed, there is always a way. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Elisha was a man who was called to do more than just speak as the oracle of God and to do mighty works. Elisha was called to point the people of God back to God. 
to, to address the matters of their heart. He was a forerunner. He was a trailblazer. He was a way maker. That was his assignment. That was his call. By the way, believer, that's your assignment and your call too. That's our call here at Church at the Bridge. But in order for the people to turn back to God and discover the path to life in his kingdom, Elisha had to first make a commitment. It reminds me of John in chapter 330. He sees Jesus. This guy's got a thriving ministry. The scripture says that all of Israel's hearts were turned at hearing the message and the words of John. And here comes Jesus, and nobody notices Jesus but John. See, when you're committed, you'll notice where Jesus is going and what he's doing. And watch the level of John's commitment. He sees Jesus, and in John 3.30, I believe it is, he says this. He must increase. I like the way the, the Amplified puts it. He must increase in prominence. And I must decrease. You know what he was saying? I know my role. My role is to get out of the way of God. And by doing so, make a way for him to do what he's called me to do. And so when Elisha made this commitment, it opened up a way for him to start upon the ministry that God had placed in his hands. But it also opened up a way for many others you see as long as there is a committed person there is a way as long as we remain a committed people there is a way as long as we remain committed at church at the bridge there is a way and I want you to consider the words of Jesus as it pertains to this point and I'm pointing you to the ways of Jesus the words of Jesus because for some of us when it comes to commitment the first thing we do is not look to God we look around us we look to see well who else is committed before I make this commitment can I tell you that's not the way commitment works that's not commitment so listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate. He's talking about a way. He says, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Listen closely. According to Jesus, the path we commit to makes a way. Why do I say that? Because it leads us somewhere. Think about it. One of these paths is a way to destruction. It's a wide path where we are all in with everything and everyone. Except Jesus. And think about it as this. Jesus is still there with you in that wide path. But you have excluded yourself. You are tearing yourself away from that relationship. Why? Because you've got room for everything and everyone else. That's a path to destruction, Jesus says. On the other hand, the other path is a narrow path. It makes way to life. And this narrow path is where we are all in only 
with Jesus. But the promise is that it leads us to life. It leads us to life. You know what I know about leading people? That you can't lead people where you haven't gone first. And the reason why I share that with you is this, because it takes people that have found the way to life to lead people to find it themselves. You see, this commitment that we're making, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this commitment is one that we have to make. You and I can choose to make a way for life, not just for us, but for the life of others. See, to walk the narrow path takes commitment. It takes commitment to press through even when it feels tight. It takes commitment to make it to the other side no matter what comes our way. It takes a commitment to not take the easy way out. But I want you to consider, according to the words of Jesus, that this commitment, that commitment is worth it. Because as long as we stay committed, there's a path to life. And as long as we stay committed, there's also a path to life for many, the many, that we will reach. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.